Welcome to the Valley of Grace podcast, helping women reclaim their power and identity so they will know they are enough. We are breaking unhealthy relationship patterns, building resilience and flourishing, and creating an empowered new chapter of life. I gave a message this past week and it was entitled, The Seven Truths That We Learned from being infected with the one-upping spirit. I hope that you are blessed by listening to it. And I just want to apologize because I put the mic on during the interview and had it a little bit too close, the uh, lapel mic. So you're going to hear two different sounds going on, but I hope that you are blessed by the message. Stay tuned. Welcome to today's message. Okay, it's another chatting with Coach Tina message. And the name of this message is entitled Seven Truths About Being Infected with a One-Upping Spirit. So I'm going to repeat it again. Seven Truths About Being Infected with a One-Upping Spirit. Okay. So when God created mankind, way back in the book of Genesis, okay, we see where he created each and every one of us in his image, okay? And this means that we are image bearers, right? However, when we look at the whole concept of love and relationships in general, we often do not reflect this. You think about it. We enter relationships which in the same manner, like, right, that we're uh, running for office, <laughs> okay? Like when politicians run for office, we enter relationships in the same way, right? Politicians one-up each other with their educational background. They talk about which Ivy League schools they attended, the elite private grammar schools their children are going to, the high schools, the colleges that their children attend, how much uh, generational wealth they have, right? What their religious beliefs are, their values, popularity according to the amount of people following them. This is all for the purpose of power. (laughs) They even one-up each other with their trials, traumas, and misfortunes, right? That's what politicians do. But guess what? We do the exact same thing. We're guilty of the exact same thing. We play the one-upping game. We drink that (laughs) Kool-Aid. The one-upping spirit comes from the seed of envy, okay? And when we enter that realm, we operate purely out of flesh and confusion. Okay, the scripture strictly tells us that where there is envying and strife, there's also confusion and every evil work. Jesus' death on the cross did all of the work for us, right? 
It created a life of freedom and hope through him and instills in us the power of the Holy Spirit. One-up relationship shows that the person that's in the up position, right? They got the most power. And then you got the person that's in the one down position who is in the less than position, so to speak, right? However, the last time that I checked, when it comes to the cross, the ground is level, right? When it comes to the relationship of people and the cross, the ground is level. We are all in need of a savior and we're all on the same level, right? No one was stamped worthy without Jesus's death on the cross, period. None of us were deemed worthy from our own good deeds. When we get infected with the spirit of one-upping, we are voiding out, okay? Like putting a big X, we're voiding out the cause of the cross. Galatians 5, 1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, okay? And in this particular chapter, in, um, let's see, in this particular chapter in Galatians, Paul is making it clear, okay, very clear how we as Christians can get caught up in operating outside of the flesh, okay? Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, right? For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. So in essence, these verses are saying you cannot be led by the spirit of God, right? And then operate under the law at the same time. That just cannot be done, right? You have operating under the law and legalism. You can't do that and saying that you're walking and living in the spirit at the same time, right? Because if Jesus did the work of the cross and rescued us so that God could adopt us through that spirit of sonship from the orphan spirit, playing the one-upping game cancels out everything that was already done, right? And so now I'm going to read from Galatians 5, 7 through 9, and then verses 13 through 15 as well, okay? And then we'll go to verses 22 to 23. So this is verses seven through nine of Galatians five. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the word leaven here means sin, okay? So that means basically he was saying a little bit of sin is going to ruin the whole bunch. So in other words, Paul was telling them that at one point they were doing fine. <laughs> okay. And it's the same thing with us in that relationship where we started off on the same page, right? 
somewhere along the way, the seed of envy got implanted in our hearts and it grew and it took root, right? And then you've got the branches leading to an infection in our heart. And then you got a tree that's growing with fruits, right? From your heart. And in turn, the one up and game begins, okay? And you guys know I love using the story of Leah and Rachel because it's so much packed in there. Every time I read it, uh, the Holy Spirit reveals something different. So we got two sisters. We have Leah and Rachel, right? And the scripture described Leah as having a weak eye and Rachel as being beautiful, right? Leah was hated and Rachel was loved, okay? So you got that dynamic. Here is the thing though. You can tell what's going on in both of their hearts. And so how do we know this? The scripture tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? So initially you got Rachel, well, Leah rather, she's got four children, okay? After the first child, she says, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, okay? Then she gets the second son. She got the second baby, okay? And then after the second son, what does she say, right? What does she say after the second son? Because the Lord has heard that I was hated, okay? Now we on baby number three, <laughs> okay? This is the point where we can tell what's going on in Leah's heart because it's then that she says, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. <laughs> she said attached now. And some versions of the scripture uses the word joined. But think about it. When you want somebody to be attached to you, attached does not mean love. Attachment and love is two different things, right? But she said she was thinking now this time, right? After son number three, her husband is going to be attached to her. It's really sad. I've heard once a friend of mine say, if you don't know what's going on with a person, what direction that they're going in, listen to them long enough. Listen to them talk long enough. It's going to eventually come out, right? And this was definitely the case with Leah. Leah gets to baby number four, okay? Then she begins to acknowledge God again. And her statement was, this time I'll praise the Lord. And then she stops having children, right? And it seemed like, wow, this was her come to Jesus moment. She's getting it together. But notice I used the word seemed like, right? Those two words. At this point, Leah was trauma bonded and soul tied to her babies through hormones, right? Those pregnancy hormones and her brokenness of unworthiness slash not enoughness and her husband at the same time, right? Because she plotted to kill, uh, I said kill, Lord have mercy. She plotted <laughs> to steal her sister's man, literally. Plotted to steal him through deception with her father, right? So she ended up being so tied through her unworthiness and this whole deception plot, right? Told tied to her babies and trauma bonded as well as to Jacob. Trauma bonded and so tied to him and it ended up being trauma bonded because she thought this deception was going to work. And the fact that it didn't work according to plan, she ended up being responsible for part of her own trauma existing in the first place, right? But she became a baby factory for him, basically. <laughs> That's the long story short of it, right? You cannot build something 
from a weak foundation, from a foundation of lies. You cannot, right? So that traumatic event and a soul tie for her turned into already, the scripture makes it clear, Jacob hated her. He loved Rachel, but he hated Leah, right? And it seems like he went around like the unspoken in scripture that he had contempt for her, okay? So as soon as Rachel realizes, okay, I'm not having any babies at this point, this is the point where the seed of envy was planted in her heart. And you need a seed of envy planted in your heart in order for that one-upping spirit to come out, right? So a seed of envy en enables that one-upping spirit, right? It sets the root in there, right? And then next thing you know, you got the branches and the trees and the fruit and everything, okay? Okay, so then this is what happened. Rachel approaches Jacob. She approaches her husband, right? She's angry at this point, and she's telling him, baby, basically, you give me kids or I'm going to die. <laughs> and Jacob is basically like, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this story from the Bible. This is God's job. I don't have anything to do with whether you are barren or not. You see what I'm saying? And it's a warning for us when we become envious and jealous of other people and we are hating on them and we are bent out of shape over their blessings. We are taking our anger and it becomes misplaced and misdirected because we're angry at the other person who has the possession. Our anger is really with God because he is the one who allows whoever and who gives and takes away. Okay. And so Rachel became so obsessed with having children and competing with her sister that she offered her handmaid, Bilhad, okay, Bilhah rather to Jacob. Okay, go ahead, here, you marry her. <laughs> so Bilhar ends up giving Jacob two children, right? After son number one, Rachel says, God has judged me. He's heard my voice and he's giving me a son. Okay, so finally, Rachel is acknowledging that life and death comes from the Lord, right? So then when you get to number two, baby number two, right, that her handmaid has, this is where you can tell where Rachel's heart was, okay? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. She says, with mighty wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Can you imagine naming your child struggle? Because you're secretly competing with your sister. That is a hot mess, okay? And of course, both of these women, you got two women who are married to the same one man, right? And when you marry someone, the scripture says that you become one, right? You become one with that person. So you got Rachel infected with a seed of envy, which invokes the spirit of one-upping. And then you got Leah infected, right? with a seed of unworthiness slash not enoughness, right? And that's growing and turns into the spirit of unworthiness and not enoughness, right? And of course, Jacob is one with both of them. And so they're just spreading this back and forth among each other through Jacob and they're leaking out among themselves at the same time, right? And so Leah at this point, she enters the game. At first, she's all about her own brokenness of unworthiness slash not enoughness and trying to get Jacob attached to her. But she enters this one-upping game with Rachel 
at the point that she sees, oh, Rachel has decided to have two babies using her handmaids. And I guess in her mind, she must've been thinking, well, I can do it too, right? I mean, th think about this, how ridiculously crazy the whole situation got, right? The one-upping spirit intensifies. Rachel feels the need to one-up Leah again, right? But remember at this point, Leah has four children of her own, then two that was by her surrogate slash servant, and then Rachel has two by her surrogate slash servant, right? So at this point, Rachel is still feeling like Leah's got the upper hand because that's six total to my two, right? So she sees Reuben, and Reuben is uh, Leah's oldest son, her oldest child. She sees him with these mandrakes that he's bringing to his mother so that she can try to become fertile again, okay? To show you how crazy this is. And Rachel convinces Leah to sell these, not sell, well, I would say sell in, in, in the sense it was selling, to sell her these mandrakes, right? In exchange for Jacob coming into the tent with Leah, right? It gets really sick and it's really twisted, right? God ended up blessing Leah's womb two more times, right? Two more times he blessed Leah's womb, right? However, you can see that her brokenness of unworthiness and false hope that Jacob is somehow one day going to become attached to her is still running the show. It's still running it. It's sick and it's twisted, right? After baby number one, she's happy. Then baby number two comes, right? This is her sixth son that she has born. And remember, she also has two by the servant, okay? But on her sixth son, that's when she says, um, God has given me my wages because, no, not the sixth. Yes, it's the sixth son, but it's the sixth child, which is by her servant. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. Okay, second child by her servant, but her sixth son. So she gets it twisted and she says, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So you will say, well, it's nothing wrong with saying that. Okay. That's what we would think. She acknowledged God. She knows that life and death comes from the Lord. We have to give Leah credit for that. The problem is she said, he's given me my wages. So she's looking at her, not waiting for God and going through her servant to have a baby, giving her servant to her husband as a wife, right? To have more babies for her, that that's God's payment. That's what she said. He's giving me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she said that this is her payment. This is God's payment, right? Because I did this. It's very sick and twisted. But when we get caught up in our own brokenness, our mindset gets warped and we start saying things that don't even make sense and we put God's name in mess, okay? So think about that. Think about that, right? This blessing from the Lord was a payment for what she decided to do, right? So then after that, she has another son, right? She's able to finally get pregnant again. Leah is. This is son number five from Leah, right? After this son, she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So that's when she gets to the sixth son, the final son, right? Unfortunately, she still didn't have a clue. She used the words honor. Honor comes from a person who loves, values, and respects you. <laughs> Jacob wasn't doing any of that with Leah, but this is what she said. 
that God would endow her with an endowment now because her husband will honor her because she had borne him six sons. She could have borne Jacob 50 sons. Jacob hated her, unfortunately, okay? She was still searching for something that only God could give. And because of her brokenness of unworthiness and not enoughness, she could not even support her sister, uh, Rachel, who was barren. She couldn't even support her. Her own wounds were preventing that. And then once the seed of uh, envy that Rachel started out with that <laughs> infected Leah, right? Once that set in, neither one of them could support one uh, each other, right? Rachel had that seed of envy in her producing that one-upping spirit. Leah had the seed of unworthiness slash not enoughness in her producing all that spirit of unworthiness going on. And so neither one of them were able to support each other, right? And even though we, we got to <laughs> say it and look at it for what it is, right? The truth is the truth. And that's what we're set free according to scripture. Leah ended up setting up this situation of mess and sin on her own. And although we do a lot of times cause our own drama, God forgives and enables us to move on. But because of Rachel's need to have this power over Leah, right? Rachel could not support Leah because she was infected with envy and a one-upping spirit. And because Leah did not take care of her unworthiness slash not enoughness, she could not support her sister. So they both in a situation, in a bad situation, right? And neither one of them being able to support each other. Okay? Rachel's one-up in game that Leah eventually entered was one that was interested of only power and exploitation. Of blessings in that is, okay? Exploiting children in order to gain this power. Think about that. You've used something that God has blessed you with to exploit someone else and have power and control over them with it. Just think about that, right? God eventually blessed Rachel with Joseph, right? And she acknowledged finally that God was in control because once she had Joseph, she said, God has taken away my reproach, right? Finally, she said that. Okay. So she realized God is in control. However, right, right after Joseph's born, she says, May my Lord add to me another son. And sometimes we do get hyped up. You know, women, you got the hormones, everything going on. You say, well, I can't wait to have another. But think about it, though. You barely have just had this baby, and you're talking about another son. After all of that time of not being able to have a baby, instead of being satisfied, content, as the scripture talks about, content with what it is that you have, she started talking about another one, okay? But when you're infected with this one-upping spirit, that's what keeps driving. Because she already had that seed of envy implanted in her heart a long time ago, okay? And, and it's really sad, right? God blessed Rachel with another son, but this is what happened. That child was actually what caused her death. She died giving birth to that second son, okay? And so as she's uh, giving birth and and this whole dramatic scene, you know, the way that the scripture uh, mentions it in her service, like, come on, come on, don't fear, don't be scared, just go ahead, you know, push out, it's a son, the Lord will bless you with a son. So that's how you know when you're messed, you got messed because everybody else knew about it. Obviously her servant knew, come on, come on, look, look, it's a son, just push him out, you don't have to fear, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and at that point, Rachel's soul was leaving her, right? She was dying. 
And she just said, let's just name him Benoni. And Benoni means child of sorrows. And Jacob was like, nah, uh we're naming him Benjamin. You see what I'm saying? Because there's power, wonder working power, as I've talked about before, in a name, right? And so Jacob's like, no, we're naming him Benjamin. And so what happened at this point, think about it. You got two races that have ended. You got the race that in New Testament where Paul says, you want to finish your race? He wants to run the race well, right? She was ending her race of life here on her on this earth. That's what was going on with Rachel. And then the second thing, that race that she had, right? That silent competition that she started off with her sister, that was also ending. Like I said, the sad thing about it is because neither one of them took care of their own issues, they did not have a fulfilled relationship, okay? And so there are some relationships that we are in, whether it's romantic or not, that don't pan out because each of the individuals involved have to do their own work. We cannot take responsibility for another person, period. And I can't even stress that enough. We cannot. Right? Like I said, when the whole scene was just dramatic because this servant is trying to give her like hope to hold on. Rachel was already in the point of dying. This is like, like this is done. This is a done deal. Okay. It's a done deal. It was over at that point. Okay. So now we're shifting from the story of Rachel, Leah, and Jacob drama slash soap opera. And we're moving on to more things dealing with the spirit of one upping. One upping stems from several things. Okay. And they include insecurities, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding, lack of self-awareness and lack of self-control. When we, let's take this example. Okay. We're going to go over one upping that involves insecurities, lack of privilege and lack of self-awareness. Okay. Insecurity can cause us to do things that are just totally out of character period. And to try to prove that we have lives just, just as exciting as the next person. Right. And so the one upper may feel like, well, I've never had the opportunity to have some of these material belongings that this other person has been blessed with. And so in order for me not to feel left out, I'm going to make up a situation where I did the same that thing as that person. But mm, I'm going to exaggerate a little bit and add a higher frequency to it, right? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to give you an example. You got married in Tennessee, right? Gorgeous outdoor country slash farmhouse style wedding. Then your friend who is feeling insecure and has a marriage that is not going well says, that her husband took her on a trip to Paris, right? And they renewed their vows under the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> okay, next one, same, same situation, okay? You talk about the two dance classes you took, all of a sudden she took 10. Then you mentioned you signed your son up for basketball class. Then your friend not only signed her son up for basketball class, but he's taking Mandarin Chinese, he's taking Japanese, he's taking French, tennis lesson, golf lessons, the list goes on and on and on. Everybody that's in your group, okay, in your small group, knows that this is not the case with this person, okay? Matter of fact, they feel bad for the individual. At the same time, they're still a little bit annoyed, to be honest. In this type of situation, there is hope from talking to the other individual in the spirit of love, truth, and grace, right? And with the concept of freedom that Christ has given us, you can let him or her know that you love them. 
they are important to God and that God has no respect of persons, right? When it comes to treating us the same and that they are important to you and that all of our experiences matter to God, no matter how small they may seem, right? And you can let them know how their behavior is not only affecting you, but affecting the other people around them, right? They may or may not receive it well at the moment due to embarrassment, insecurities, and shame. However, eventually they'll come around, right? And they'll stop trying to be something that they are not and allow other people to accept them for who they are, right? But that's got to be when you go into that person in love, okay? And not, and they will realize, I don't need to be the person who needs to put on the front and a false persona. When it comes to knowledge, we tend to get comfortable using this excuse, right? For everything and everyone, when we have hurt someone, and not just knowledge, but lack of knowledge, I meant to say. When it comes to lack of knowledge, we tend to get comfortable using this excuse for everything. When we have hurt someone or we've made a wrong move, and what do we say? Well, I know, I know, I know. Okay, that's usually our response. Sometimes we get indignant about it. And this may be very well true. We did not know, right? What those, that other person was dealing with. However, lack of knowledge does not take away the offense that was made. Lack of knowledge in certain countries about how to address others, public displays of affection, right? To people we do and do not know, and other situations when it comes to proper etiquette, eating, and behavior could actually end up having you arrested or killed. The scripture tells us my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou has rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee thou that thou shalt not be no priest to me. Seeing thou has forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. That's in Hosea four, six. That's pretty deep. Then there are other cases of one upping where the situation of the one upper is true. It's not exaggerated at all. They are not lying about their reality. However, it's still annoying and hurtful. But the person doesn't see how it's affecting others. Okay? So in this situation, there's a lack of self-awareness. Okay? Sometimes we don't see our own sins and they have to be pointed out. And a lot of our sins are also coping mechanisms. But it doesn't mean that it's right. Okay? After pointing this out to the type, this type of individual... It would be embarrassing and painful, of course. However, the right person will be glad that you pointed it out and they can work on their behavior and lack of self-awareness, right? Okay, now, <laughs> we're in a whole nother situation here. In this case, this is the toxic one-upper. We enter relationships with people who are already infected with the one-upping spirit and it is their operating system. Think about Windows 10, Windows 11, right? Everything is based upon that operating system. So some people, unfortunately, have a tree going on in their heart with fruit hanging off of it. And that is their operating system, one-upping, right? And so then you would say, well, how do you know? The scripture tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? Right? 
in these particular situations, nine times out of 10, there is a certain phrase that a toxic one-upper uses all the time when they want up about everything that's going on in their life. There's one phrase they will say all the time and everybody that hears it would know it backwards and forward, right? They are the only ones who have to deal with this issue at this intensity. And when it comes to the toxic one-upper, unfortunately, their accomplishments, degrees, etc., is somehow always better than yours. Even if you went to the same school, obtained the same degrees, went through the same training, you still are not looked at as equal. Now think about this in Amos 3 and 3, it says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So how are you going to have a relationship with someone to be in that with a toxic one-upper who considers you not to even be on the same level as them for whatever reason? So this is a quote that the Holy Spirit gave me a while ago, maximizing my achievements and gifts in order to minimize yours means that I haven't fully embraced how wonderfully creative our God is and his decision to make no two people alike. I have chosen to settle for the broken pieces of comparison trap, insecurity, and competition instead of that unique plan for each of our lives. This quote means that with one-upping, you lack understanding, okay, of what your talents and gifts are to be used for. And in toxic one-upping situations, is multiplied. Okay, our spiritual gifts and talents are for the purpose of edifying others, not exploitation of power. And some would argue and say, well, perhaps the toxic one-upper doesn't know and he or she is completely unaware of what he or she is doing. <laughs> that would seem to be the case. However, this is what I have noticed. When you bring it to the attention of the toxic one-upper, the person will usually respond with, I know, but, and then begin the one-upper statement, that one-upping statement that everybody has become familiar with, okay? So think about it. You are bringing it to the person's attention. They don't care. See what I'm saying? They need to be the one in the powered-up position, and they need you to be the one in the powered-down position, right? And so that is more important, unfortunately, because of their brokenness than the relationship between you and that person and your feelings and the damage that it's causing. And if you have recovered from being in a sea of unworthiness slash not enoughness and trying to prove that, right? If you already recovered from being on that hamster wheel of hustling for self-worth and approval, in a toxic relationship, but you are in a relationship with a toxic one-upper, this can actually trigger you to want to start proving your worth, okay? Proving that you're valuable, all right? You would think that with a toxic one-upper situation that they would only try to outshine you in a positive light, right? With their accomplishments, and that is not the case. Not only are they better than you in every single area and every single thing and every situation that you talk about, every trauma, every tribulation, every death, 
any and every pain that you've experienced. Yes, and unfortunately, even death. Even death. They are better than you, okay? For some reason, society has taught us to rank our pain, and that's part of the problem. We will want a support and understanding, uh, to have support and understanding from someone, right? About our problem, for instance, right? And instead of us going on and telling them about our pain, right? Our tendency is to start off by saying, well, I know this doesn't compare to the pain that you're going through right now with your mother's death. I know this doesn't compare to the pain that you're going through right now with your sister being in the hospital. I know this doesn't compare to the pain that you're going through right now with your brother being injured in a car accident. Why do we do that? We've been taught we need to have some type of competition or we need to rank in the top three to gain support for our pain. I have a whole uh, quote that the Holy Spirit gave me years ago, and it says, pain is pain. And so when we minimize someone else's pain in order to maximize ours, we are unknowingly accepting the enemy's broken pieces of victimhood, stagnancy, and self-pity. So that quote that the Holy Spirit gave me basically means that when we create a trophy out of our pain, we are already digging a pit for ourselves, right? It's self-inflicted, right? We're keeping ourselves stuck. We're keeping ourselves in victim mode and we're keeping ourselves in a cycle of toxic self-pity, okay? And so the person in excess, like I said, is just creating their own pit from their own need to be uh, in power and to have control, power and control, right? And so in um, Galatians, it tells us, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another, humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That's really deep. When you think about it, I'm a visual person, you think about just biting and devouring, but that's what one-upping is. And when he says, Watch out or you'll be devoured, destroyed by each other. He, basically, it's like, in other words, what goes around comes around, right? Galatians 5, and 23 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Against such things, there is no law, okay? And now we're going to go to the seven truths right? From being infected with the spirit of one-upping. Truth number one, in the toxic one-upper case, one-upping others in the end leads to one-upping oneself. And you might wonder, what do I mean about that? You have powered up and powered up and powered up and powered up and powered up until you got to the point of powering out because you powered yourself out of relationships with everybody. You powered up so high from one upping that you powered out and you don't, you, you're not with anybody. Why? A person can only reside in a, such a relationship for so long. It gets played out literally. It has gotten played out. Truth number two, in one upping in general, and even more so in toxic one upping situations, lack of understanding of the concept of God's plan of love and freedom for us and how that is supposed to be transferred over to others means that we are constantly destroying one another, okay? 
Galatians 5, okay? It says in 25 to 26, those verses, let, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And that's in Hebrews 10 and 24 for that last part. Toxic one-upping is provoking behavior. Love does not envy. This is what it tells us, right? It's not puff, puffed up and it's, it does not seek her own. That's what the scripture tells us, right? And it brings us to truth number three. Lack of understanding about love leads to lack of understanding in relationships and how they work. Just point and simple. Toxic one-upping lacks reciprocity, right? You cannot, there's no give and take, okay? The only gain <laughs> in the relationship is for the toxic one-upper, right? For him or herself. The thing about it is that trying to out one-up a toxic one-upper is a lose-lose deal. You're not going to win. It will destroy you. It will empower them. They have a PhD in one-upping, okay? Truth number four, the ride of sin. And this is another quote the Holy Spirit gave me a few years back. The ride of sin is like a roller coaster. It starts off slow. It speeds up through several twists and turns and then plunges hundreds of feet down at maximum speed, leaving you discombobulated and stunned that you went as far as you did. One-uppers often use their size and figure to be in a position of power. Okay, this shows lack of understanding about God's purpose and his design for our bodies. And in the scripture, it says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Truth number five. One-uppers use their wealth and material possessions, okay? And it, which means they lack understanding of world order, the concept of source and resources, right? So one-uppers who are using their wealth and material possessions lack understanding of world order, the concept of source and resources. That's truth number five. In the King James Version, in Psalm 24, one, it says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And so essence, you are one-upping and holding power over others for what you yourself do not own. <laughs> just a little food for thought for just for you to, just to stop and just think about that. You got the things you're one-upping people that you're using as a tool of exploitation, right? It's something that you don't own yourself. God has given it to us, right? Because he owns everything. He's given it to us to steward over, but yet we feel we can use that same thing to have power and control over someone else, right? Truth number six, one upping sends us back into the bondage that Jesus died to save us from. Just like in the earlier biblical times in Moses' day, right? And it started back with Abraham with the circumcision that was a must. And there was a lot of other laws that came into place, right? 
when Jesus was here on earth, the Pharisees made sure he was reminded of the law along with everybody else. They were extremely legalistic and it was a put off to Jesus because they were only concerned with how they appeared on the outside to everyone else. Letting him know, letting them know, oh, you spit on the ground. You did I mean, just silly little petty stuff, right? Their desires to look good was greater than their desire to exemplify the goodness of God. Goodness being one of the fruit of the spirit, right? That stems from one's heart. All right. Truth number seven. The entering the game of one upping is like drinking milk. <laughs> and you guys probably like, what in the world is she talking about? Remember a few uh, messages back that I gave, we talked about how Paul told the Corinthians, he wanted to tell them about some spiritual things, but he couldn't. And he said, because envy and strife existed among them. And so instead of being able to give them the meat, okay, and meat representing the spiritual things, he had to keep giving them the milk like you would give infants, okay? One upping works the same way because the spirit of envy is involved. If we're so caught up in that state, God is not in it. The scripture tells us that uh, God is not the author of confusion. And it also says that where there's envy and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. We can't celebrate or empathize with our sister or brother in Christ when we one up because we are too busy trying to figure out how we can have power over instead of having Holy Spirit power with. And I want to repeat that. We can't celebrate or empathize with our sister or brother in Christ when we one up because we're too busy trying to figure out how to have power over instead of having power with, Holy Spirit power with, okay? Participating in the act of one-upping means you lack self-control, okay? And I know it's hard for each of us to hear, okay? But you lack self-control. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Everything we want to say does not need to be said. It just doesn't. And I'm not sure of which author came up with these three questions to ask ourselves before saying them to someone, but I think they're good. Is it true? Is it kind and is it necessary? And then I added on three more. Okay, three more. I'm about to hold up four fingers. <laughs> is it edifying? Is it glorifying God? Is it demonstrating love? So we got to ask ourselves those six questions. Pause before anything comes out of our mouth. We really, really do, right? And I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13 to give you this picture, okay? To really hone down in your hearts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a ringing gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have absolute faith so as to move mountains, okay, this is some powerful stuff, but I have not love, I'm nothing. <laughs> if I give all I possess to the poor and exult in the surrender of my body, but have not love, I gain nothing. And that's deep too to think about. You give everything you got, but you don't exemplify love. You don't possess love. It, it was nothing you did. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrong. Love takes no pleasure in evil, 
but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Okay? Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be restrained. Where there is knowledge, it will be dismissed. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial pat will pass away. They're saying when Jesus Christ comes, we don't have to worry about like lack of understanding, not understanding the whole thing. Everything is going to become clear. Like I can see clearly now the rain is gone. We're going to see clear, that kind of clear, okay? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I set aside childish ways. Now we see but a dim reflection as in a mirror, right? But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So you are tired of going from one situation to the next, right? You're feeling frustrated, disillusioned, discontent. And you're feeling the need to compare, envy, and control everything that you set your eyes on, including your surroundings, esteeming everybody else's healing journey above your own. And it's not your fault that your healing journey doesn't matter, right? But if anything, the more you control other people's lives, your surroundings, and healing journey, the more out of control you become. And the more your true self is trying to catch up to you. Controlling everything and everyone is not working, right? But then you think, well, what else can I do? <laughs> your experiences in life in general as a woman who is in pain doesn't matter. And you figure, hey, I got to do something. If I can just find the right formula, that magic formula to make my healing journey appear just like somebody else's, I'm going to be okay. That's what your thought is, right? If I can just do that. You're putting everything on the line though, right? Your family, your friends, and community seeking to uh, find the answers to your healing journey. And if you worn out, you figure, hey, I lose my whole sense of self in the process, it'll be worth it. At least I'll feel it fit in and my journey would look like everybody else's, okay? But here's what happens. The irony of the situation is that the harder you're working to control every person, place, and thing around you, the more out of control you become. Your body can't rest from the pace of the Energizer Bunny situation that you've created. You're literally in a state of exhaustion and confusion. And if you start thinking, okay, if God created me for a life of freedom and abundance, this couldn't be what it looks like, right? So when you're trying to control everything you put your eyes on, uh, including running after other people's healing journeys, it's only gonna make your true identity and uniquely designed healing journey take, <laughs> take off and run after you, right? God created us out of love. And in that love, he gave us freedom, right? So we're trying to hide from who we really are and we're specifically designed for to go through only intensifies that desire for the real you to burst forth, right? And come running after you, which in turn places you in bondage, right? Guess what? You in bondage to yourself. God is the God of all creation and revelation. and He's got no respect of persons. Your trauma matters, your healing matters, your experiences matter, your surroundings matter. And the same God who created and specifically designed 
Everybody else's healing journey, okay? Every other woman's healing journey is the same God who created and specifically designed yours. Running away from your identity and healing journey creates an existen uh, existential crisis and an effect on a lostness within you. You got to know and live the truth in order to be truly free. And that's why your efforts to control and run after everything else, it isn't working, right? You got to identify, first of all, the root issues of your needing to look outside of yourself in hopes to heal instead of looking within. Everything else that you need to happen to take place, okay, for you to surrender and embrace your life, your surroundings, and uniquely designed healing journey through poetic, artistic form and walking your true identity and freedom as a woman of God, and even more importantly, as a child of God, will fall into place, right? So what does that mean you need to do, right? You want to, in surrendered, healing is an art form. You're going to take a deep dive. You're going to get into the root of the matter. You're going to deal with some hard but necessary truths, okay, about what it means to surrender and the illusion of control. You grow because you're away from that comfort zone, which is the surface, right? And that comfort zone is that you need to control everything and everyone else instead of learning how to control yourself, right? You're going to grow. How do you begin to walk in this new freedom is probably your next question, right? You are going to go out to Amazon to look for surrendered. Healing is an art form, right? It's on Amazon along with all my other books. You're going to look for that book, right? And you can download the discussion questions from thevalleyofgrace.com is my website. It's all one word, okay? Then what you're going to do is discover how this unique approach in poetry and devotional form can complement your healing journey, okay? You are enough, all right? Don't forget, you're already enough. You don't have to drink the one-upping cocktail to prove that you are, okay? You don't have to drink that Kool-Aid. <laughs> Grab your keys to the kingdom and get your inheritance. Thank you and God bless you. And until next time. Instead of 
burn and perish away In nights never so cold Without His grace How could I say That I've seen the world From His great love How could I know What He could love How would I have seen What He had in store for me Love that refines 